You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. So in, in today's episode, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about food and nutrition. And again, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. I don't have a degree in, in nutrition, but I'm interested because I like to eat. I like to eat healthy. Um, I've always enjoyed eating healthy, um, but I also have a lot of patients that come in uh, with questions. And if I don't know the answer, you know, I, I let them know. I, I don't know, but I'm going to look into it. And it's hard too because, you know, in, in, in med school, and I do honestly believe this is a deficit in medical school education, is there really is nothing that really teaches us about nutrition. And, and if you think about it, you know, our body is this incredible machine that has to be fueled appropriately and properly. And, you know, what has happened is that people don't know what to eat and they make poor choices. And, this leads to disease. You know, there's a lot of diseases that are related to how and what we eat. You know, you look at the obesity epidemic, you look at heart disease, you look at cholesterol, you look at liver disease. I mean, you look at all of these different problems and, you know, not all of them, you know, some are genetic and some are hormonal and related to other disease processes, but there are a number of diseases that are related to what and how we eat. And if the patients don't know what to do and the doctor doesn't know what to do, well, how is anybody supposed to get better? Um, So I think it's really important that for patients to be your own advocate and to try to learn, you know, more about what you're eating and how to eat, but understand that's difficult because the internet is out there with lots of information and sometimes it's hard to decipher what's real or truthful or science-based and and what's not. Um, But I think doctors also owe it to themselves and to their patients to learn a lot more about nutrition. So, you know, I've constantly tried to learn a lot and as much as I can about nutrition, but it's an evolving science. And, you know, what's interesting is because I get the common question, well, you know, doc, what what can I eat? I want to eat an anti-inflammatory diet so I don't have arthritis. And it's not that simple. You know, because we have food allergies and we have food sensitivities. So what may be good for one person is not going to respond well in the other person. And we also have this thing called the gut biome. You know, it's this incredible kind of collection of different types of bacteria that live in our gut. And a lot of what we feel and a lot of our body's functions we're starting to learn are related to this delicate balance of bacteria that lives in our gut. You know, and if you ever notice, if you go on vacation, you know, you eat different foods, you drink different water. I mean, this is the extreme version would be, you know, the old thing of, I don't go to Mexico and drink the water and, you know, you get horrible diarrhea. But, you know, even somewhere where you don't get diarrhea, you may notice that, you know, your bloating gets better or worse or your stool changes color or, you know, smell and, and all of those things are related to the variation in our gut flora. And, 
there is a lot of important science coming out that shows that the diversity of food is really important to keep a healthy microflora of all this bacteria. Um, and when you look at inflammation, you know, there's different authors and doctors out there that will talk about different foods that they too believe are more likely to cause these inflammation problems. And the extreme version for some patients is they need to cut all the way back and do an elimination diet um, and then figure out which foods work well for them and then slowly introduce foods to figure out what their trigger is. Um, you have the, the nightshade family, and there's you know one particular author that talks about trying to avoid all of the nightshades. Um, you have people that can have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth called SIBO, and they talk about having a FODMAP diet, which decreases the types of potential sugars and how your body converts and the bacteria convert that, which can cause symptoms. You know, the extreme is gluten and, you know, specifically for people that have celiac disease, you know, that can cause this um, reaction in their body that, you know, a lot of times is described as an allergy. It's not a true allergy like somebody would get from a peanut allergy, uh, but an autoimmune process where their body will start to attack the intestinal lining because of this protein in gluten. Um, but then it gets back into the whole idea of the food chain and genetically modified food. So again, super, super long, detailed discussion um, that I'm just going to touch upon in different episodes. But you know, some of the more common questions that I get asked about when it comes to things which are food-related, which may be anti-inflammatory, um, and patients ask about most commonly is turmeric. You know, and the compound is the curcumin. Um, so this has been shown to have these anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. So there is some scientific data out there that shows that actually this can be helpful. Um, now, when you eat regular turmeric, if you haven't used it, it's, it's actually a really, really interesting thing to cook with. It's a root. It looks sort of like ginger, and you can peel it with a vegetable peeler, sometimes a if it's a big enough, you can use a knife just to cut the edges off, or actually a spoon works well. You can just kind of peel off the, the outer bark, essentially, with the spoon, and you get this bright, vibrant orange root, and you can chop it up. You can you, know, um, you can mince it. Um, you can use a ginger grater um, or a fine cheese grater to kind of grate it down, and it's nice because you can add it to rice dishes. You can add it to soups and I've used it in salad dressings and, you know, you can use all sorts of different recipes that will use that. Um, and you get this nice vibrant orange color and this flavor, but the actual curcumin is a very small amount. So, you know, in certain cultures where turmeric is used in super, super high amounts and high volumes on a regular basis, you know, they may be getting some of these long-term benefits from prolonged ingestion of these amounts of turmeric over time. Um, but a lot of times the uh, turmeric supplements have such a higher amount of curcumin that if the anti-inflammatory properties are what you're looking for, you may get more of that out of that supplement. Now, what's interesting is that the addition of black pepper has been shown to increase the absorption when you're using actual whole turmeric and foods and things like that by up to 2,000%. I mean, this is pretty amazing that there's some reaction there or some sort of cross-reactivity. I don't really understand. I haven't delved that much into it as to the actual scientific pathophysiologic process. Um, but if you have ever done like one of these immunity shots or these shots that have the turmeric and ginger, they always have black pepper in there. And, and the reason is that this black pepper, when you're using 
whole, you know, food type turmeric, not the not the actual pill, um, it will increase the absorption of that turmeric by up to 2,000%. So, you know, is it helpful? Well, you know, some studies have shown that it can reduce the risk of heart disease. Um, It can also decrease the chance of other chronic diseases, and it can reduce inflammation. So it is one of those things, and you may hear me talk about it over and over again, that when it comes to supplements and things like that, um, things that you're interested in trying. You know, I always say, if you're going to make the effort to try it, don't take it here or there. You know, this isn't the, you know, I, I take a, you know, turmeric pill or an immunity shot with turmeric, you know, once every six months, that's fine. You can do it. But if you're looking for it to see if it makes a difference in your general overall symptoms of inflammation, what you should do is, you know, find a reputable product. You need to look into, you know, how it's made, how it's manufactured, how it's tested, make sure that you're truly getting what you're buying and then make a conscious effort of adding that one thing for a period of time and really assess your symptoms, stop it, you know, see do the symptoms change, get worse. So if there is a true benefit for you, you know, then it's something that, you know, may be helpful. Um, now, the next thing, just to briefly talk about um, along with that, I'm not going to go into as much detail, but the idea of ginger, simply because a lot of recipes. Um, we do a lot of cooking in my house and a lot of recipes call for the combination of ginger and turmeric. Um, that ginger is another root, um, which is an excellent thing to add to flavor foods, soups. You know, it's definitely used in a lot of Asian inspired dishes. Um, but it's great actually for nausea. It's really nice, a little hot water and, you know, a slice of ginger, put it in there. It's great for nausea, which is something that may be useful um, if you suffer from nausea or after surgery, if you're having issues with nausea, it's something that you can use. And there have been some studies that have shown that it actually may be helpful for inflammation as well. Um, and there's actually a really interesting, the, you've probably seen or heard about the idea of this golden milk. It's a great little um, kind of soothing drink that you can make. It's you know typically made with coconut milk, but you can use it with any of the the nut type milk products. Um, we've made it with macadamia, nut and almond, almond milk. Um, but you add in typically fresh turmeric and fresh ginger, I guess in a pinch, you could use the powdered forms if that was all you had in, in your kitchen, adding in some black pepper. Um, and you'll notice the concentrations, you can find them, you know, online on a lot of different websites. And if you simmer it for a while, um, it produces this vibrant sort of golden orange drink and it's reported to be soothing and you know anti-inflammatory and can be really helpful um, for lots of things so it's something that we make on occasion um, but I, I do have some patients that you know really really um, enjoy this combination of the ginger with the turmeric with uh, coconut milk or something like that and make this golden milk so it's something that you can look into trying um, now the other the other thing which is really interesting um that I've delved into and, you know, every day I seem to learn a little bit more about is the idea of green tea. So green tea is this other interesting food product, essentially, that is antioxidant um, and can be extremely helpful. And, you know, one of the best ways that you can potentially get this is the idea of matcha. Um, So, you know, green tea, the green tea leaf. And, you know, as I looked into matcha, it's really interesting because it's it's the way that the... um, the product is produced. So, you know, with matcha, they actually use the whole leaf and there's a whole process of, you know, when they cover it and when they pick it and all the different processes. But once they get the leaf, then they grind it into a powder. So it's this one tea where, you know, typically with teas, you're used to the leaves that either come in a bag or a satchel, or you have your own, you know, container of fresh tea that you'll put into some type of 
um, tea strainer and produce your own tea. Um, but with the matcha, you can actually consume the entire, you know, powder. And it's, you know, these tea ceremonies, it's a whole process. But, uh, you know, when you make your green tea at home, you make your matcha, you know, you can get the powder. Um, and there's a process of, you know, heating up the cup and, you know, then, you know, heating up your bamboo whisk, if that's what you use. I find actually that does work the best. Otherwise, you get clumps. Um, and then dumping out the water. And then I've been told and taught that the best way to keep the matcha powder fresh is keeping it in the freezer. You add your fresh matcha and you stir it and mix it and get this nice kind of frothy. And, and it's a great, you know, delicious drink um, that has a lot of these great properties. So it's this this um, chemical in it called EGCG, um, this catechin is, and it's, um, I may miss the pronunciation, but it's epigallocatechin gallate. Um, and the highest concentration of this chemical is found in nature in matcha. Um, and it, it has some effects on the cardiovascular system and it has this metabolic effect and it can help with weight loss and decrease cholesterol. And it may even potentially have anti-cancer effects. So here's this great, you know, drink that you can use and it has all of these additional properties that may be helpful. Now, people worry about, well, am I getting too much caffeine? Well, it's a really small amount. About a half a teaspoon of matcha only has 35 grams of caffeine. Um, and the daily max of caffeine recommended is around 400 mil, uh, milligrams. So it's a, you know, a very small amount of caffeine that you'd be getting, but it does, you know, give you a little stimulant. But here's this excellent thing that you can use um, which is tasty and delicious and warming, but it has all these excellent properties that may be beneficial for your health. Um, and the, the the third or the last thing, I guess typically the fourth, but we just talked about ginger briefly, but the, the other thing that I want to talk about lastly today, though, um, which I get asked about a lot is the idea of, well, well, wine. I heard wine was really good for you. Should I drink wine? I'll drink more wine. And, you know, a lot of this came out from the, the French Paradox study, um, that really found that when they looked at the French and they attributed the wine to the you know positive health benefits that they saw um, in the French as far as cardiovascular disease and things like cholesterol. So what's interesting is in the wine, um, you get these things called polyphenols. Um, and you know, polyphenols are typically coming from the skin and the seeds. So when you drink white wine, there's a very small amount of polyphenols. It's only about 0.2 grams per liter, where with red wine, you get 1.8 grams per liter of these polyphenols. So when someone says, yeah, I, I heard that wine's really good for you, drinking a lot of white wine, you're not going to get the positive health benefits of the polyphenols. Phenols. You're going to get that from red wine. And you know, I've been told and um, I've read a few things. I got to look if it's 100% correct, but also sometimes just red grape juice. You know, even if you don't drink wine or you're not, you know, you don't consume alcohol, um, you may get a lot of these same polyphenols from just red grape juice. Um, but there are a lot of benefits. It may decrease platelet aggregation um, and platelet aggregation. If those platelets clump are the things that can cause heart attacks and strokes, um, it can increase your HDL. So your HDLs are the cholesterol. If you get your cholesterol panel and you look at the HDLs are the things that you want to have a lot of. They're good for you. Um, and it may also increase what's called nitric oxide, which can help cause a little, what we call vasodilation or dilation of the blood vessels, uh, which also can help with blood flow, especially, you know, to the heart muscle. Um, but 
the effect is dependent on the dose. So like anything in life, too much of anything is not a good thing. Um, so if you're a female, um, typically it's recommended to have a glass of wine per day. And if you're a male, uh, it's recommended to have up to two glasses of wine a day. And with that recommended dosing, those are the people that may see these health benefits of these polyphenols um, that come from the grape, where if you start to drink more than that, you know, you're drinking three or four glasses of wine, you fall off a cliff. And now those health benefits go away and you actually are causing detrimental problems to your health and it can cause a lot more issues. So you really want to watch, you know, if you're going to drink wine for the reported health benefits, you need to be cautious of how much wine you drink. Um, So all of that um, together is, you know, information. So things that you may want to think about looking into turmeric and the curcumin, um, try cooking with it, you know, for the health benefits, you're going to get uh, higher concentration um, in this supplemental forms. You may add ginger, the idea of turmeric and ginger for the um, that golden milk. Um, the idea of the EGCG um, that you can get from green tea and more specifically from matcha uh, and the idea of these polyphenols that you can get from um, red grape juice or red wine in moderation. Um, and all of these are just things to kind of think about as you start looking into what you eat and how you eat and how what you put into your body can affect your health. You know, all really, really important things. But um, like I've always said, though, too, um, depending on whether or not you have underlying health conditions or take other medications, if you start to add things and you're using things like supplements on a regular basis or even food products that are different um, on a regular basis, you know, let your doctor know because occasionally these supplements can interact with other diseases or other medications that you're taking. Uh, So I hope that you've found the information helpful. Uh, We'll be talking a lot more in future episodes, just more and more about food and nutrition. Um, You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.